Hi everyone and welcome back to the Making Milestones podcast. I thought today it might be fun to do a podcast about the common myths slash misconceptions that lots of horse people are taught, especially like by the people at the beginning of their riding careers and we then take those things with us for like a lot of our career riding horses if we don't find out the actual truth from another source and even in cases where people are offered the truth it can be really really hard to believe it when you've spent several years or decades of your life believing certain things so i think it would be fun to discuss a couple of these common misconceptions that are taught to lots and lots of people and that a lot of them i've been taught personally from when i was younger and i believed them for many many years and By completely starting to like undo these misconceptions, I think we can make the horse world a much better place because it'll prevent people from making mistakes that are entirely avoidable. Um, And they make these mistakes out of sheer lack of knowledge and being led astray by people who they perceived as knowledgeable telling them the wrong thing. So I think that this is one of the biggest problems in the horse world in all honesty because I would say that the vast majority of horse people do not want to cause their horses harm and they love their horses and sometimes what we're taught and what we normalize allows us to cause harm to our horses without knowing it so yeah that's kind of what today's topic is about and again I appreciate everyone who tunes in on these and shares them and all that jazz it's really helpful the podcast um, I'm always amazed by how many views and downloads it actually gets because um, I don't know I'm not like the most consistent podcaster and I have a podcasting style that might not be everyone's cup of tea so thank you again for doing that if anyone is interested in joining my patreon you can join for as little as a dollar a month and you get access to behind the scenes stuff um training help depending on what tier you choose and all sorts of stuff and it also just helps uh, me with the expenses of like getting equipment for the podcast or for my youtube and filming and stuff like that uh, so yeah, the, to do that, you go to patreon.com slash S-D-E-Q-U-U-S and you can join as a patron there. Alternatively, I also have my own online stores like my merch store, which is shopmilestoneequestrian.com. And then I also sell bridles, neck ropes, saddle pads, and some apparel through amoreequestrian.ca, which is A-M-O-R-E equestrian.ca. And you can order off of there as well. And all this stuff just kind of goes into helping support my career. And honestly, my biggest future goal, which is eventually developing like my own training facility hopefully one day um with the housing market how it is uh that seems like a little bit of a pipe dream um but I'm gonna keep on dreaming and keep on trying to make that happen because yeah I don't know what the goal will be if that is not possible and oh my god that that'll be another podcast is talking about how much prices and everything have gone up and how difficult (laughs) it makes setting goals and wanting to do things in the future but Anyways, let's just get into the common misconceptions. The first one that I want to start with is the entire idea that horses have no nerves in their mane. I was taught this from a young age because I like when I was told to like grab mane or pull on mane or brush manes and whatnot, I was told by instructors that horses don't have any nerves in their mane, so I don't need to worry about yanking on it. And this is also something I've been told in relation to pulling horses' manes, and it's a very common belief for that, that horses have no nerves in their mane and cannot feel their mane being pulled. Um, I initially started to question this when I started to get into like the hunter jumper scene and I noticed people pulling manes and I like did not notice very many horses if any that seemed actually okay with it and I noticed that horses looked upset and that they were trying to get away and that they did not like the action of pulling so this made me wonder if they did in fact have nerves in their mane and then also I noticed that One of the most tactile grooming areas for horses is along the mane and like the crest of the neck. And I also wondered if they have no nerves in their mane, why the fuck would they groom each other there? Um, So that curiosity kind of like led me to doing more equine science stuff, especially once I started taking classes. And I found out that they do, in fact, have nerves in their mane, which I started to kind of believe anyways, because I just didn't understand why they would react to having their manes touched and whatnot. If they didn't have any nerves there, it didn't add up. 
Um, and yeah, it's it's completely false. I think that that myth probably came about to help people feel less guilty about pulling mains. Um, and it's just kind of been perpetuated for years. And honestly, one of the biggest issues I have with this myth is not the fact that people still pull mains. It's the fact that when they are choosing to pull mains, if they're of the mind that the horse cannot feel it, then if the horse doesn't want to stand still or if they misbehave while having their mane pulled, it gives the person license to punish them a lot more or like in their head that's kind of how they could justify it because they'll be like you can't even feel this why are you acting up and then it can lead to frustration that results in a situation that's very unfair to the horse now my personal opinion is that there's no reason to pull manes because you can easily like feather the hair with like a thinning shear and lots of other products that allow you to do the exact same look but without yanking hair out by the root. This is how like human hair is cut. This is how we do like all sorts of different hairstyles. Horses are no different. Um, you can definitely do it and like use thinning shears and scissors and all that jazz to um, help your horse out and help it be more comfortable for them. So I'm of the mind that I really do think pulling is something that we should phase out. I know some horses seem less bothered by it than others. And like, that's also just a difference between like, like ability to handle pain and also personality and type and whatnot. But in the studies they've done on pulling manes, even horses who did not appear to react actually had an increase in heart rate and blood cortisol levels, which means that they were stressed. So even when they don't react, the horses still showed signs of stress. So this is something to consider if you pull your horse's mane and you don't think that they mind. Even in horses who didn't react, there is still noticeable signs of stress internally. Um, and I also think it's important to remind people that a lot of horses may not react to pulling because they've been taught that like they'll not be listened to and that like it's not going to stop their hair from being pulled. And in a lot of cases, they might even get in trouble for reacting. So they will just learn to not because they're not allowed to over a consistent enough period of time that they're just like, OK, why bother? I just have to stand here and tough it out. And this could be the reason why a lot of horses may not particularly react and may appear to be fine with it. Um, this isn't to say that all horses definitively hate it. Maybe there are some that actually do like it, but I think that we need to go with the majority like logic, which is horses have nerves in their mane. Um, we probably shouldn't be forcibly pulling their hair out of their by out by the root as like a normal method of trimming and taking care of their hair and making it look nice because then you're putting aesthetic preferences above the comfort of the horse and you have to do it on a repeated enough basis if you want them to have a short enough mane that I just think it's completely unnecessary to do and to make your horse deal with if they don't need to and like I said, there are lots of other different solutions of achieving the exact same look without pulling combs. So I think that's what we need to normalize. And we definitely need to normalize the idea that horses have nerves in their mane, regardless of whether or not you pull your horse's mane or not. You should not be pulling their mane while being in denial of how their bodies actually work and how their perception of pain and feeling works. Um, and I think that myths like this are kind of problematic too because like they, they are used to justify a lot of archaic practices in the horse world that are done at the horse's expense and not necessarily kind to the horse. I've seen like similar justifications for like whipping horses because people will go, oh, like they're a horse, like they beat the shit out of each other in the field. They can't feel it. They have way thicker skin than humans. And like that's, we'll go on to that as the next myth is that horses have thicker skin than humans and less feeling. That is false. They actually have thinner skin than humans. Um, and be like they can feel things like they can literally feel a fly land on them and target the muscles to like shake off the fly so I don't know why we're perpetuating these myths because like honestly you should be able to kind of logically like look at your horse and how they react to their environment on a regular basis and go hmm yeah like they probably can feel the whip pretty well if they can feel a freaking fly land on them and even if their skin was thicker than ours, it's not really our job to try to like dictate how much pain they feel from something when we are the ones choosing to do it. The horse doesn't consent to what we are doing and we're supposed to be teaching them how to do things. So justifying using punishment with the idea that the horse can't feel it because they have thicker skin is 
just a kind of lazy way of enabling yourself in doing something that is not only like shown to be rather ineffective and cause a lot of follow-up behaviors, but results in your horse not communicating with you as much. So this is another thing that I would like to see people start to change because even if you do use punishment in your training and you don't want to change that, I think that everyone needs to be more considerate of their horses and more aware of how they do feel and like how emotional of a species they are and how much they can actually feel and like take in as pain. And yes, in the herd settings, horses might bite or kick at each other, but it's generally not on a very repeated basis unless there is something that is not being given in enough quantities in the herd and causing resource guarding and aggression, be it space, food, water, and so on and so forth. Usually horses aren't spending a lot of time kicking and biting each other. And when they do kick out, a lot of the time it's a warning. They're not regularly connecting. And if horses are regularly connecting in a herd and causing like issues and injuries and doing it repeatedly enough that you think that it's a means of justifying how much punishment you use in training, then I think it's time to kind of consider the fact that the herds you are watching may not be the most functional herds. They might be disordered and you might be seeing a higher instance of aggression because the horses in those herds are more stressed and then they take out that stress on each other. Um, so it's just not a very good justification. And like I said, it's something that is not true. Horses do not have thicker skin than us. This is something that has been tested and proven. There's studies on it. They literally have taken like horse skin cells under a microscope and looked at them and compared them to human cells. It is not true that they have thicker skin than ours. And again, even if they did, I don't really think that that's the best justification for being like, this is why I should be able to hit my animal because they have thicker skin than me. Um, the bar really is so low if that's like the only justification people need to take out their anger on horses and honestly in most cases I would say punishment is taking out your frustration on a horse I've had people get mad at me for saying that because they'll be like oh I wasn't mad I was just like disciplining them for doing the wrong thing and it's like I don't know like for me like anytime I've used punishment over the past several years because I was taught to use it as like the only means of correcting undesirable behaviors in a lot of cases I was always frustrated and I kind of would resort to punishment when I had no other idea of how to correct the issue without getting like upset with the horse. And I would say at the very least it's frustration or irritation being taken out on the horse. So yeah, like that's kind of like, I think that a lot of the defenses that are used to justify a lot of the ways we handle horses come from a place that lacks education and lacks any sort of real logic. So I think that we need to start examining that and just kind of holding ourselves more accountable because this isn't to say that like it's the easiest thing to start learning different ways of like handling your horse and how to like phase out using like punishers like whipping your horse or getting mad at them or physically doing something to try to discipline them away from a certain behavior. Um, it's not the easiest thing to learn how to do like different ways and to kind of stop having that be your go-to method of dealing with misbehavior. Um, but it is something that I think is necessary horse people for horse people to do in order to become better trainers and better horse people. And this isn't to say you need to like do it immediately and be perfect first time, but it's, it's just something to consider. Like we need to start examining our old biases and information that we've been taught and questioning like how true it is or if there's actually like a better way of doing it. Cause in a lot of cases there probably is, um, especially when like such methods are used as like a quick fix way of like achieving something. So the next myth slash misconception that I want to talk about is the entire idea that like training gadgets like draw reins and like German martingales and side reins and whatnot teach the horse how to properly carry themselves and teach self-carriage. Um, recently I saw on TikTok someone posted a video of a horse lunging in the Pessoa lunging rig and it was fitted way way too tightly and the horse was extremely behind the vertical and so many of the comments were just saying like the horse is just learning how to use the system this is fine this this builds muscle this system teaches proper carriage and helps the horse build muscle and I wanted to talk about that because it is such a huge misconception like what builds muscle is an animal working and using that muscle correctly and if you aren't letting them use it correctly and you're trying to manufacture a certain position they're not going to build muscle tone in the way you actually want them to um 
So these gadgets themselves, they don't build muscle or teach the horse proper carriage. Literally all they do is pull the horse's head down into a certain position and make it more difficult for them to lift their head past a certain point. That is all they do. Like it's all fixated on just pulling the head down and in. Um, even when they are fitted properly, like the entire idea behind them is to create some level of resistance to stop the horse from popping their head up as high in the air or poking their nose out as much. That is the purpose they serve. None of that actually teaches the horse to lift and engage their core and drive from behind. And in a lot of cases, especially when these things are not fitted properly, they actually do the opposite and the horse drops onto the forehand, hollows out their back and ends up not going around as nicely as they could. And the entire notion that these gadgets are something that you need to help a horse build muscle and that they just like, you can just slap them on and have it happen like that. It is so damaging to horses and like, I don't know, like, I think a lot of us would hate going to the gym if we had a personal trainer who did not care about, like, your current level of fitness or flexibility and just forced you into certain positions or to do certain exercises before you were ready and ignored your protests because horses don't protest as loudly as people can and they can't, obviously, like, verbally advocate for themselves um, like humans can. But they do show a lot of signs of discomfort that are more subtle and easy to ignore when they're using certain types of gadgets like this. And I think that a good way to, of looking at it is that if you as a person were going in for personal training and you had a personal trainer that wants to teach you to be more flexible and instead of just like slowly building and like getting you to stretch more and more as you become able to they just slam you down into a splits and force you to do it regardless of like how much horrendous pain it causes or that you can't hold it for long enough or for example the plank they want you to do the plank you can only plank for a couple of seconds right away um and can't do it all at once but they want they, they just tell you to keep planking and do it to the point where you cannot continue managing to hold yourself in the correct position and that you're fatigued and in uncomfortable because of how much they're like how much pressure they're putting on you to maintain a position past the point of fatigue um and when we use gadgets like this on horses especially when we use them with the idea that that's like the miracle cure to get that top line and to get them to build muscle and to get them to look and ride how you want them to we end up creating a lot of problems in the future that a lot of people won't necessarily associate with those training gadgets like for example when you're using like draw reins or any type of pulley system like that like the Pessoa lunging rig or any of that you can't feel when the horse is leaning on them and the horse could be going around leaning their head on the pulley system of that, that and like not actually be carrying their front end properly. And then when you take it off, it's not like their body has just learned to drop right onto the forehand to like overflex their neck to avoid being pulled on by the system. And they're not actually carrying themselves any better because again, none of this targets their back. It doesn't target their core strength. It doesn't target pushing from behind. It only targets pulling the head down. And especially when you're forcing an animal to do that for lengthy periods of time, because for most of these types of equipment, these gadgets, they're just put on the horse. And like after the first time they're on, like most people will ride in them for the, like the entirety of the ride, or at least a good portion of the warm up period before taking them off. So there's not really a slow burn in terms of like getting the horse used to it and gradually bringing up the intensity. It's kind of all at once. Let's just pull their head down because I'm tired of them having their nose in the air and hollowing out. Um, and because of this, like, it's highly likely to cause fatigue and muscular discomfort that results in the horse not being able to perform in the way you would like them to. So I think that, like, and honestly, this kind of includes, like, a lot of harsh bits and, like, anything that people are buying with the idea of getting their horse to soften quicker and put their head down, like, immediately and more readily. Like, all of these things are purchased with the idea of doing something faster and having this, like, gadget be the miracle fix for the horse and be what, like, teaches them how to do something properly. And, Honestly, like no piece of equipment on its own is going to teach your horse proper carriage. And, and, and to be frank, like the best way to actually teach them how to carry their bodies is let them have use of their bodies instead of like restricting them. You have to teach them how to find the most comfortable way to carry themselves. And you can't do that by using something that is inherently forceful and that the horse has to just kind of wear and you can't necessarily feel when they're no longer comfortable or when they're starting to fatigue. And yeah, like 
I, I think so many of these things cause way more problems than they ever solve. And honestly, like I see so much about, oh, like make sure you use these things properly and make sure they're properly fitted. But in reality, like, is there really a proper way to force a living, breathing creature into a position that they're not muscularly ready for? Um, because if they were muscularly ready to carry themselves in a certain, like, in, in like, draw rein style with their head, like, in the position that people want, um, but let's talk, like, a correct frame where they're actually using their back and their entire body, if they were ready to do that and were muscularly fit enough, you would not be needing to go and grab draw reins or having something like that to try to make it happen faster because they would already be on the way to doing that. So the entire motivation to use these types of things, I think, stems from the fact that people want to get somewhere faster and with less work but that's not really how these things work like when you're building fitness for yourself or for for your horse you can't rush it like it's like deciding that you wish you had a six-pack you can't just achieve getting a six-pack in like two days by getting some miracle like type of gadget that says that'll help you build muscle like you can't it takes time to build muscle it takes time to build flexibility and fitness and this is something that you need to consider when you're training your horse they shouldn't be forced into discomfort because you are over eager and want to achieve something faster than their body is ready for um so yeah that's a huge myth like these gadgets do not teach proper carriage they focus on the head and neck and like and with bits that you use to get your horse to soften faster they just focus on creating discomfort in the mouth that the horse will submit to faster than they would with a softer bit and none of this is really teaching them the skills and the fitness that they need to carry themselves properly and I think that a lot of riders would actually benefit more from taking dressage lessons and learning how to do like the foundational aspects of teaching a horse how to be ridden helping them relax helping them supple helping them carry themselves better and put their money into that rather than buying bits or gadgets to try to do it for them like you're way better off spending the money on dressage lessons or even getting like online help from like classical dressage people who post videos and learning that way than you are from buying these gadgets because it's way easier to ruin your horse and accidentally cause discomfort using things like this than it is to use them correctly and in a way that'll actually help your horse with their development without overfacing them and expecting them to do too much too soon. Um, so yeah, that's that that's kind of my take on gadgets. And I just thought of something that I quickly want to circle back to the main polling thing because ironically, like we Janae shared a main polling study on her Facebook page a couple of weeks ago, and the amount of fucking drama that study caused is also something that I want to talk about because I think it's an important aspect of looking at like the cognitive dissonance behind how people react to this type of information and react to having to question things that they've taken with them for their entire riding career career just believed are true um the response to her sharing that study and saying that like um she hadn't met a horse that actually like tolerates their mane being pulled like and doesn't show signs of discomfort people were nasty and like a lot of this was like race trackers getting really mad because they all pull manes still and a lot of the horses are lip chained or twitched to have their manes pulled or in some cases sedated because they don't like to do that this isn't to say all race trackers do this but it's one of the more normal practices that i've seen personally um and with like our arabs too like uh, people who were doing dressage or sport horse when i showed arabs they would twitch their horses to pull manes sometimes um and regardless of whether or not they twitch the horse like the like i said the study demonstrated that horses even when they don't react or seem to look uncomfortable they still showed signs of stress when it was tested so anyways that was the study that was shared and people got so angry and they just started doing like ad hominem personal attacks like horrible stuff where they were just like targeting Janae's care of her horses and just being like rude and nasty and not actually targeting the actual argument at hand or like the problem at hand which is the study and the findings regarding main polling it just turned into this personal attack like literally grown-ass men and women who are like in their 40s and 50s just being absolutely cruel to like Janae who is 24 and um I found that interesting because I was like I literally never would have expected that this study of all things would cause such a visceral reaction in grown-ass horse people and like none of them like I'm not even kidding you like not a single one of the people who got upset by the study could actually substantiate why it bothered them and actually say anything on their side as to like why they had an issue with the study in the first place it was all personal attacks and like it intended to try to discredit Janae for sharing the study rather than discrediting anything 
anything related to the study itself, which um, this is a tactic that I noticed from a lot of horse people who don't want to change and who feel threatened by information. They'll attack the person sharing the information, even if they're not the one who has conducted the studies and done any of the like heavy lifting in terms of like finding out this type of information. They target who shares it and then they target that person and try to discredit them and just completely slam them. Um, and I think this is silly and I think it's something that we should all kind of notice if we start doing this and like check it within ourselves because if the argument is someone sharing like scientifically backed information, anything you say against that should be di related directly to what the study is claiming and why your opinion differs from that. Um, and nothing related to the person sharing the study, because even if the person sharing the study is an idiot who has shared stupid stuff before or who isn't a good horse person, that doesn't change the validity of the study itself. Someone could be a bad horse person and not necessarily take the best care of their horse, but they could still share a study that has merit. Um, so I think it's up to us as horse people. Like if you start to get that type of reaction where you want to personally attack someone when they share information that makes you uncomfortable, question why you do that instead of getting mad at the person for sharing the information. Because regardless of whether or not you agree with or believe the information or if you think there needs to be more studies done, that's fine. But the person sharing the information is not the problem. Like they're not who you're mad at. If the information makes you feel targeted, look for an argument that actually discredits the people who put that information out. Otherwise, you've literally not done anything to back your point or back why you don't believe in the concept. You've just shown your ass by taking out your frustration and insecurities on a person who is literally just sharing information. Um, and that type of behavior, I think, is always really telling because it's almost exclusively offered by people that have no desire to respond to any science or change their horse experience in any ways. And typically, these types of people will be like, I've been in the industry for X number of years, blah, 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 blah. And they use their experience in the industry as a reason why they couldn't possibly be wrong. And this mindset's really concerning because especially when the people who have this mindset have been in the industry for like 30, 40, 50 plus years, it just shows that they're really not looking to change or better their care. They've already decided they're completely right and cannot be bothered to fix anything. And these types of people are the most dangerous in terms of sharing misinformation because they're so egotistical that they're using their own personal experience and putting that above literally all scientific research. And I would say, honestly, most horse people probably go through a period of doing this type of thing where they get like the dissonance, not wanting to accept information that conflicts with your beliefs. Most people go through this at some point, but like it's how you respond to it and learn from it and whether or not like you start getting curious enough to learn that really makes the difference. And the people that choose not to do that, I think, perpetuate a really prominent attitude in the horse world. That is just the idea that, like, if you get to a certain point in the show world or the racing world and you've, like, had a number of years under your belt and you might have done well at competitions, that suddenly you're, like, the expert on all horse care and ethicality and can never be wrong. Um, and that's such a, a dangerous mindset to have because anyone can be wrong. Like, even really good horse people, well-educated horse people, like, even equine behaviorists, they can make mistakes, they can do something that's not the best choice, and they're not immune to, caught, like, making mistakes or being wrong. Like, they can, they can do that. And the inability to admit that you might be doing, like, wrong and might be making mistakes is, like, the absolute absence of personal growth and self-reflection. Um, and I see it a lot in horse people, a lot, uh, especially if they are older than me because they get so fucking threatened by young people. And like the other tone that this, that, that t these types of people will take on is like calling people snowflakes, tree huggers. Oh, the younger generation is so sensitive. And it's all with the intention of trying to discredit anyone for questioning the status quo, um, which I think is concerning is that basically they're trying to bully people into agreeing with them. And yeah, with no real argument against any of the information offered. It's very, very telling. So that, I guess that, that kind of diverted from the point, but basically what I'm saying is to watch for that behavior in yourself and in other people. And if you start to notice it being directed at you or you doing it to other people, try to catch yourself and remember that like, if what you believe is actually defensible, you should be able to target the point that you disagree with rather than the person sharing the point. Like, you should be able to substantiate why you feel the way you do, even if it's just like, I like pulling manes and I like the look better and I'm not changing. Um, 
And if you can't do that, then it's a sign that you might not be as correct as you originally thought and that you might be needing to learn more, even if it's just learning more about your stance so that you can substantiate it and explain to people why you feel the need, the way you feel. Um, but yeah, anyways, that's just something to consider for like when you encounter this type of attitude. So the next misconception that I want to talk about is one that I've talked about a lot. And I wouldn't say that this is necessarily one that's like explicitly outwardly said, but it's very much implied and it's like conditioned into horse people from a young age. And it's the idea that like social group turnout with horses is optional or turnout in general is optional. Um, this is a really concerning mindset because it'll kind of take the tone of like either horse people just not seeing any ethical violation when horses don't get social interaction or if they don't get much time outside or any time outside. Um, or you can see it where people act like it, people are not taking care of their horses if they live outside full time. Like they, there's this notion in the horse world that like your horse needs to go into a cozy, nice stall at night to be properly cared for, especially if they're expensive or a show horse. And it, it's odd because this, 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 misconception takes on kind of an elitist tone a lot of the time where people will like make poke fun at like muddy pastures or the idea of horses like yeah living out full time and being like oh my expensive show horse could never do that they hate the rain like they need to come inside they don't want to be outside and I think this is so false like I agree some horses will seek shelter in the rain and they won't want to just be standing directly in the rain all day however I would say the vast majority of horses, including horses who have grown up being stalled all the time, if you left their stall door open and gave them access to like a large paddock or pasture, you bet your ass, especially if they have friends out there, they're not going to be sitting in the stall for 24 hours a day. That is just not going to happen. And if they do, it's like a disordered, trained behavior. And this is how people need to view this. If you have a horse who is anxious of the outdoors and cannot tolerate socializing with other horses and runs around in their paddock or field when they go outside and then you just take that as like, oh, they love their stall, they don't want to be outside, then that's an issue because it's a disordered behavior that's been created through how the horse has been cared for. If you deprive a horse of socialization and space and freedom for several years at a time, or even months at a time, like when they do get that space and freedom, they're not going to really know how to handle it. And they're going to have a whole lot of extra energy to burn off. So yes, they are highly likely to do stupid shit like running around and potentially hurting themselves or to not know how to interact with other horses and potentially getting hurt either by other horses or hurting other horses because they don't know how to interact. And this isn't a sign that the horse actually needs to be stalled more or likes being stalled. It's a sign that the horse unfortunately has lived in such a like not ideal situation that they have developed anxieties towards normal horse behaviors that they should enjoy and that they should find relaxation in. And the solution to this problem is to not just stall the horse more and avoid what makes them stressed. It's to actually deal with the stress and systematically desensitize them to it and counter condition them so that they can live a normal, enjoyable life as a horse. In the same way, we'd put in the effort to teach a horse to not be afraid of jumping or to go on the trailer or whatever. Like, horses don't freaking grow up being perfect to ride and doing everything we want to do under saddle perfectly without any anxiety or any issue. We work with them to try to teach them how to handle it without anxiety and issues, especially if we have an idea in mind for what we would like the horse's job to be. And if we're willing to do this for stuff for our benefit, we should be more than willing to do it for the horse's benefit, especially considering all the information we have on horses and how they're intended to live and how detrimental standing around for consistent periods of time and not socializing, how detrimental that is for them. There's, like, no question that it is an ethical issue. Like, we know that, like, stall vices and a lot of the stress behaviors we see in domesticated horses only exist because of the isolation and boredom associated with not having friends, not having free choice access to food, like hay and whatnot, and not living in a regular like natural way like as intended so that's kind of the issue is like we need to kind of normalize the idea that like yes some horses may appear to like stalls better but it's a disordered behavior it's no different than a dog who has separation anxiety or who doesn't want to leave their kennel like you can't just let them continuing to continue to live their life inside a kennel just because they're afraid of everything else like that's no life to live it's your job as their caretaker and their handler to help get them to the point where they can enjoy and live a normal life 
and you should be as willing if not more willing to put the work in as you would when you're just like riding and teaching a horse how to do what you want to do um yeah so it's it's just it's a complete myth that some horses just can't be outside or some horses just like being stalled because them liking it is directly related to how they've been managed and again, like, if you leave the stall door open, the horse probably is not going to stay there. So, if they really liked and loved the stall that much, if they were given full autonomy and had, like, all of their needs met in terms of, like, forage, friends, and so on and so forth, and still choose to spend all their time in the stall, then maybe you could say that. But honestly, in most cases, especially if you counter condition the horse's anxious association with turnout, they will leave the stall even if it takes them some time to build up their courage, and they will likely end up spending more time outside side with friends. Um, Horses need friends. Having friends is not really something that's considered optional for a herd animal. Like, it's a basic need of them and they do suffer both physically and mentally when they don't have access to being around with friends. And I think a lot of horse people vastly underestimate how much time horses spend with their friends if they're in group turnout. Like, they do everything together. It's, like, social bonding is such a huge part of their daily time budget and how they live that, going without that is, like, honestly devastating. And I used to be one of the people who would think it was optional. Like, I used to not want my horse in group turnout because I would worry about him getting hurt when I had my Arabian. And seeing how his behavior changed when I offered him full-time group turnout was very eye-opening for me. And since then, I've done, like, a lot of reading and research on horses and, like, the whole stalling issue. And it's, like, firmed up my belief that, like, stalls are only, like, in existence for human convenience. They're not necessary. Shelter is necessary, but shelter can be, a, like, oh, like a lean-to, natural trees, or, like, a three-sided shelter. It does not need to be a stall, um, and if they are going to be stalled, we do need to allow them time to express natural behaviors in, like, a herd setting, and we need to start working towards normalizing this more because I do understand that a lot of boarding facilities, and especially city areas, aren't necessarily set up to provide horses with these basic needs, but that's why we need to normalize the idea of them being a basic need because then we can start to completely change how barns are built and set up and start to make it more fair to the horse, starting with how we look at building stalls. And until we start to have that conversation, I really don't think much is going to change. Um, so it, yeah, it's something that's important to have. And honestly, a lot of people struggle with this too, and they don't want to admit to it because if they have their horses stalled a lot or are not comfortable with having their horse out in group turnout or don't have the option to, they'll want to believe that the situation that they can offer is the best one for the horse. So it's really, really important that like, even if you can't necessarily provide the absolutely best ideal situation for your horse, that you're still like open-minded enough to accept the fact that there are certain things that are normalized in horse care that are not good for horses and that we could change for the better. And you can do that while having your horse in a situation that might not necessarily be perfect, but by admitting that you can do what you can to make the horse's situation better. And I think that's necessary for all owners to do. Like for my horses personally, I wish they had a way bigger field. I wish that it was more engaging. I wish they had hills. I wish they had more trees trees. Um, but for the area they're in, they have way more space than the vast majority of horses here. And they actually go out together and they have freedom to run around and express natural behaviors, free choice, hay and whatnot. So like for the area they're in, I'm doing pretty well. And like, yes, it could be better, but that's kind of what my future goal is, is to be able to provide that for them. And until then, their situation does provide them with their basic needs and the five basic freedoms and the three F's, which are friends, forage, and freedom, which is a specific, like, horse needs. Um, so, yeah, like, it, it, it's not the best case scenario, and I would love to be able to offer them a better situation long term, but that's something that I'm working towards and is almost entirely reliant on me either renting an entire property or having my own property because of how so many boarding barns are set up that they don't like to do full-time group turnout. So, yeah, so the next misconception we're going to talk about has to do with nutrition and it's the idea that like like thoroughbreds all need grain or like certain types of breeds need grain or that grain is like necessary for like show horses to eat 
Um, and just kind of the idea that like, yeah, that grain is a necessity, a staple in a horse's diet, um, because it's not. There's a lot of problems associated with feeding grain, including ulcers, like higher rates of colic. And also like the, the these types of studies that have been done on grain, they need to like we need to also consider the fact that a lot of horses in these studies are also stalled a lot and don't have access to the three F's. So it might increase the risk of colic and ulcers on top of that because of that, along with the grain. But that aside, like horses have been like that they're they're made to forage and be eating grasses and like um, fibrous like hay and like plants and whatnot throughout the day and eating like lots of different things like they forage through grass, they forage through trees, bushes, etc. Like they're meant to be foragers. So when we don't provide them with enough forage to eat, it causes a lot of problems. Since they're meant to be foraging almost constantly throughout the day, they produce a lot of stomach acid. And when their stomach goes empty, this is what creates ulcers. And there's a lot of behavioral issues associated with ulcers. Ulcers, ulcers also increase the risk of colic. And they're really painful to the horse. So you don't want them. Um, grain increases the risk of colic because of how starchy it is. It's also not necessarily the greatest for their feet if they're getting a lot of starch. And like, there's just this general idea that like, if your horse needs weight to just up the grain first, when really the, where we should start looking is like how much the hay the horse is getting and how high quality it is. So, um, the fixation on grain, I think, is a huge problem in the horse world because it results in a lot of horse people just, like, feeding their horses diets that aren't giving the horse everything that they need and also tend to make horses hotter and more reactive while not providing the horse with everything they need. Um, and a lot of boarding barns won't feed enough hay and then they'll just feed grain and the horses might not drop weight because they're getting the grain but they're going hours a day without any forage which is not good for them and they probably wouldn't need the grain if they were fed more hay and so this is kind of something that I think needs to be more normalized as well like we need to start talking about all the misconceptions we have about horses relating to diet and really reforming how we view that because a lot of our behavioral and physical issues with horses would be extremely less common or at least it would it would put a dent in how common they are if we just started providing free choice forage and started to normalize the idea of like hay as the main staple in horses diet um and lots of people like know that hay is important and they might even say it's a main staple in the horses diet but it is very very common at boarding barns in specific and just in anywhere where horses aren't necessarily out on grass full time to just not have them eating enough forage and it, it can even be like hard to find a place that actually does free choice forage because of how normal it is to just do set hay feedings where the horses get like three flakes per feeding and like sometimes only two feedings a day and then they're going for hours and hours without hay and for horses who eat fast and like might just sit and eat like their flakes within a couple of hours they could be going like five plus hours without actually being able to eat anything and then this also increases boredom when they're in turnout and it also yeah like I said increases risk of ulcers and other stuff so it's a very easy fix if we just start to kind of not like completely be obsessed with the idea of grain and realizing that like a lot of horses digestible energy comes from hay and that hay is better for them and this isn't to say not to feed grain ever like that it's always bad that's not what I'm saying here it's just that it's way too commonly fed and also like the entire like idea behind equine nutrition like a lot of people aren't properly balancing their horses diets they'll kind of just pick and choose supplements and grain based off of what other people that they trust recommend or what the product promises to do whether or not the product actually does that or the horse needs it and it results in like potentially wasting a lot of money not solving the problems that caused you to use x supplement or grain in the first place or spending a lot of money thinking it's solving the problems but not actually doing as much of a job as it could and also with like hoof issues, nutrition plays a huge role for like hoof health. So if horses are not getting all of the vitamins and minerals they need in their diet, or if they're getting too much of certain ones, it can impact their hoof health. And this can result in horses having chronic hoof issues that owners don't know how to fix and that they're trying to like shoe around fixing, but aren't necessarily being addressed because it's actually a dietary issue. So normalizing the idea of properly balancing a diet and ensuring that your horse is not getting 
too much of certain vitamins or, or minerals or too little. I think that's really important because it would solve a lot of issues that people have with their horses that stem from either like an not getting enough or getting too much of something. And it's very easy to do because like so many horse owners, especially if they have horses on full board, they're not really involved in the care of their horse and they're not really involved in the feeding programs in a lot of times. Or if they are, they're doing so under the guidance of other people at the barn or their trainer and so on and so forth, who may not necessarily be the most qualified to help them out. Um, so yeah, that, that's all something to consider when you're, like, looking into taking care of your horse and, like, their diet and whatnot. And I would honestly, like, I've recommended this a lot. Um, I Like, I've started using Mad Barn supplements and it has made feeding time way easier. It's helped my horse's hoof health immensely and just their overall health. And I've pulled them completely off of grain now. So they're only getting forage. So they get, like, free choice hay um, from their round bale and they get a mixture of beet pulp and soaked alfalfa cubes with their supplements once a day. And the Mad Barn supplements have been key. First of all, like they have free shipping in the US and Canada, which is huge if you spend more than $40, that is. Um, and secondly, they offer a free diet analysis, analysis service, which is excellent. So you can send in, like if your hay gets tested, you can send in your hay test report or you can send in the type of hay you feed and your location and they'll kind of balance it based off of what the soil in your area is typically like and what the hay in your area is typically like. But if you can get your hay tested, that's the most accurate way of doing it. Um, and they look at what you're feeding your horse supplement and grain wise, you can input all of that on their diet analysis form. And then an equine nutritionist will get back to you with your horse's diet balance with what they're missing, what they might have too much of and suggestions for how you can address anything that might be a problem in their diet. So I highly recommend using that because like that's something that anyone can access. It's free to use and it is really, really good for like a general knowledge, whether or not you end up buying the Mad Barn supplements after or not, it'll give you a good place to start for taking care of your horse and their diet. Um, and yeah, like I said, I've been feeding Mad Barn for several months now and I'm really happy with the results. I have my horses on the Omniety supplement and the Amino Trace. And then I also have Milo on their Visceral Plus Ulcer supplement, which is great. Uh, so yeah, I highly recommend their stuff. They have all sorts of supplements to kind of cover all the bases that you could possibly need. Um, the Omniety supplement is like a, oh, like it's a, basically like serves the purpose of like a ration balancer to make sure that they're getting all the vitamins and minerals that they need. And so since it's like an all, like a comprehensive supplement, Mad Barn doesn't actually sell like specific like hoof supplements or gut supplements supplements other than like the visceral plus for ulcers um the omnity is like targeted to tackle like all of those problems like it's it's giving them what they need so it'll improve hoof health even though it's not specifically called a hoof supplement um i spoke to the owner of mad barn and he told me like the entire like concept behind their company is like the idea of like providing people with like full-scale nutrition that handles everything so that you're not having to go get like a hoof supplement a gut supplement a coat supplement a muscle supplement a joint supplement and so on and so forth like they're giving they're, they're trying to make supplements that cover all of the basis and will balance the horse's diet as a whole to make things easier for owners and also better for the horse overall so that you're not having to buy like a million different supplements it makes everything way easier so i highly recommend checking out their um, diet analysis and if anyone is interested in ordering from them you can use my code sd equus sd equs for a discount and i highly recommend checking out their products they also they like most of their supplements come in like pelleted form especially like if you get like the Omnity or Amino Trace. So they're a lot more palatable for horses as well. And even if you didn't want to feed like a soaked feed mixture that I feed with my feed for my horses, like soaked forage, um, depending on the horse, they might just eat the pellets. Like my guys can be picky. So I just mix them in with a soaked thing and you don't even need to add that much and they'll eat it right up and it's totally great, but it's better than a powder because it's harder for them to eat around. Um, it, and like, yeah, easier to clean up and for horses who aren't picky they should just eat it right up and if they are picky you can just add like an oil or yeah soaked feed or something else in with it just to help them out a little bit and make it a little bit more palatable but they're really easy to feed and like monthly I'm spending way less than I spent when I was feeding grain like considerably so um, my biggest expense for feeding is definitely hay um, which is normal. That's what they're eating the most of. But yeah, they're not getting like grain or anything now and they all are really healthy.
healthy. It's made horses easier keepers. I had a way harder time keeping weight on horses, honestly, when I was feeding the most grain. Um, several years back, I had the skinniest horses and I was feeding the most grain I probably ever had in my life. And I was trying to get like every supplement under the sun to help my horse when the real issue is like a lack of forage and probably a lack of like a balanced diet and them needing certain vitamins and minerals that were not being addressed in their grain or supplements that I gave. Um, it, there's a huge misconception that, yeah, like thoroughbred types and whatnot will just need grain. Um, when you're getting them right off the track, like a lot of times they might, like they probably do because they get fed so much fucking grain at the racetrack. Like it's an absurd amount. It's basically like free choice race grain. Um, and it's not great for them. It's like, that's why racehorses, well, at least in part, why racehorses have such a high instance of ulcers. Uh, so like getting them off of that can take some time because you'll want to like slowly wean them off so that it's not like a huge hit to their metabolism. But honestly, like I've been able to like transition like thoroughbreds over to like far less grain, like going from like probably 15 pounds of grain a day to like under a pound um, in like a matter of weeks. And the key is good quality hay, like, an, a, like constant access to the forage and then making sure that they're getting like, like enough in their diet for minerals and vitamins. Uh, so like all of my thoroughbreds now, including ones that are like fairly recently off the track, cause I pulled Harlow and Betty off of their grain quite quickly when they, um, came off the racetrack. We were slowly weaning them and then they got down to like 200 grams of grain a day. And now that I'm feeding the Mad Barn supplements, I'm not feeding any grain at all. Um, so yeah, it doesn't necessarily take that long and it can take longer for certain horses because like, again, you're kind of resetting their metabolism and I wouldn't say rush it, but like, I think that the entire idea that like all horses need grain and that you're not like being a fair and good owner if you don't feed it, that's completely false. And like the idea that all thoroughbreds are hard keepers, again, completely false. Like my thoroughbreds are keeping just on hay. Like they're not very expensive to feed at all. Like not at all. They eat a lot of hay and like, but like we're talking like probably, I don't know, round bale per horse each week or not each week, each month. So yeah, like hay is only like, I don't know, five to six hundred dollars a month for like the five horses that I have like it's not bad at all like um so yeah hay is where it's at guys um I know it can be tempting to get like whatever miracle supplements offered especially if people like say it works really well but like a lot of supplements are really expensive and if they're not covering like most if not all of what you need to do for your horse's diet then it's not always worth the money. Like, I don't know. Like, I've tried feeding hoof supplements like Farrier's Formula, and I've also done just, like, zinc and copper and done, like, my own powdered supplements. And, like, even with the powders I was buying, like, it was not really cheaper than the Omnity supplement from Mad Barn, and it was only, like, biotin, zinc, and copper, so I still had to feed, like, a ration balancer in addition to that to cover all of their needs. Uh, so the Mad Barn one, like it covers everything. So I'm spending less money than I did on just like the generic powders as well overall because I'm not having to buy extra stuff in addition to it. So yeah, just some food for thought. And honestly, like this is a myth that I believed a lot too because I thought grain was really important. My horses got fed so much grain. I had way more issues keeping weight on and yeah, more issues behaviorally with ulcers and whatnot. And just overall, my horses did not look as good. And I was like a diehard thoroughbreds need grain. Like, I don't believe that they can go off of grain person. And now I'm eating my words. I was also a diehard like, oh, thoroughbreds need shoes. Milo's never going to be able to go barefoot. And now all of my horses are barefoot. So I am eating my words. Um, and yeah, I would say that like with a correct diet and care like most horses should be able to be rehabbed into being sound barefoot as well like the notion that shoes are necessary I would say is another myth that I would want to start to do away with like shoes we make necessary by how we are trimming and caring for horses feet it's not effective we need to adapt with the times and develop better shoes because shoes really have not changed that much since we started using them but our knowledge of the hoof and the horse has changed a lot so we really need to start to change shoes in the same way we've developed saddles and all sorts of other sporting equipment. Like, think about how many fucking different bits and gadgets we have on the market, and yet 
traditional plain metal shoes are like very much the norm for shoeing all horses even though we know that the frog needs contact with the ground in order for the hoof to function properly so we know all this but yet we're perpetuating something else because of tradition and tradition is very dangerous the lack of desire to change or the fear of changing is what holds the horse world back a lot and honestly like so many of our problems i think would be addressed with horses if we made some of these changes and let go of some of these traditions like if we normalize socialization forage space to move around and the idea of proper hoof health and not just covering up bad hoof health with shoes then our horses will have so much less issues like they'll have less issues under saddle they'll have less issues behaviorally with us because we're addressing the actual causes of a lot of these issues and we need to normalize that idea because people are scared of change because they think that their horses aren't going to be able to deal with it or that they won't be able to do what they want with their horses when in reality making these changes will make their horses easier to handle uh, like stalled horses are my least favorite horses to handle, especially if they barely get outside because they are always so much more difficult. They're typically more grouchy. They're typically way more reactive and spooky and way more difficult to handle on the ground. They're harder for basic procedures like shoeing and like vet care and all that jazz. Um, and they're may- more dangerous to handle as, as well. And like, honestly, even just like targeting like the forage and free choice forage, like that's a huge factor in like horse behavior and like normalizing that alone, we'd see a lot of changes. But if we did the full scope of normalizing, like, first of all, like looking into the cause of behaviors and like l- learning more about hoof health, changing how we do hooves and how we normalize like shoeing practices and also adapting shoeing practices so that they're better and Um, address a lot of the problems that we have not addressed in traditional shoes. If we start to do all these things, our horses are going to excel because we're going to deal with a lot of the problems that cause them grief physically and mentally, and they're not going to have as much of a reason to be upset or to have problem behaviors because we'll be dealing with the cause of a lot of them. And that's something I truly believe. Like, it's not something that's been quantified in a study yet because we're not changing practices on a large scale in the horse world yet, so it's not really able to be tested. But it's something that I truly believe because I've seen it personally with my horses with the changes that I've made as I've learned and grown as a horse person. So I really strongly believe that if we actually take the initiative to make these changes and to undo some of our common misconceptions that will make the horse world such a better place. Our horses will be easier to handle. We'll get to enjoy them more because they'll be way happier. And that's something that I firmly, firmly believe. So I think that's it for the for today. Like I don't want to record much more. No offense, guys. Love talking to you. Love doing the podcast. But yeah, I'm out of things to say. So uh, yeah, that's kind of it for misconceptions. And if anyone has like any requests for podcasts and whatnot, I'm open to ideas for future podcasts because I kind of just do whatever I feel inspiration at any given time. And today was misconceptions about horses. So. Yeah, I hope that that was helpful and that people might have learned something or that it might have, like, discussed stuff that you think but haven't felt heard about. I hope that, yeah, people like listening to these. And, yeah, I hope that gives people some stuff to think about because, honestly, like, there's a lot of stuff that I now actively do and very much believe in that I would literally have made fun of myself several years ago for believing in and, like, completely been against. Like, I'm eating a lot of my words because I've learned more and I've realized how wrong I was about a lot of things. So, yeah, it's just, it's, it, it is what it is and it's not a bad thing to try to do things differently or to admit that you might have done something wrong for several years. It's better late than never when it comes to change. Like, if you stubbornly refuse to change because you're too embarrassed to admit that you're wrong, you're going to be a lot, like, less far ahead than if you get comfortable with admitting you're wrong and where you went wrong. And honestly, when you can start getting comfortable with doing that, it's a power move because it makes it way harder for people to get your goat and get mad at you if you're just like, yeah, I did do something that was shitty and I've learned how to do it better now. They just don't know how to respond. Um, and it's very empowering. So I recommend it. There's like, there, and there's going to be more misconceptions and myths that come out as we study horses more and learn more because we haven't been able to study them and share the information as easily in the past as we can now with like modern technology. So more stuff is going to come out and we're going to have to continue to learn and adapt with the times and that's okay. And it's not something we should be ashamed of. It's something we should welcome because it'll help improve the horse world and will improve the lives of our horses, but also ourselves as a result because happy horses are way easier to work with. And that is a fact. So 
yeah, anyways, thank you for tuning in, guys. I always appreciate the support that people give this podcast. And yeah, here's your reminder just to check out my Patreon page. If anyone is interested, it's patreon.com slash sdequus, S-D-E-Q-U-U-S. You can subscribe for as little as a dollar a month. There's also training tiers and whatnot if you're interested in getting some training help. And yeah, I also have like, I'm going to be releasing some new stuff on the website soon. I'm working on a Western bitless bridle that I'm really excited about. So that'll be available for pre-order in the coming weeks. If anyone is interested, I posted a photo of the first prototype on Shop Milestone Equestrian on Instagram. And yeah, I also have like lots of spring saddle pads that are released and the styles that I have stocked right now will not be coming back. So I recommend checking them out before they're gone and getting your order in. And yeah, any support of like those businesses really is helpful for me to continue developing my business because like I said, like my goal that I'm gunning for is to be able to create a horse facility and run it the way that I want to because not being able to have that control in this world is really, really hard for me. Um, and I feel like I can, I like, I feel like I've worked hard enough to deserve it. And like, I mean, the housing market doesn't fucking agree with me on that, but, um, that's kind of what I'm gunning towards. And that's like my big, big time goal. So, um, with the company and stuff, that's what I'm working towards. And yeah. And like ordering stuff for me too, like for restocking stuff in larger quantities, it's helpful because I can't really do huge restockings because it's so much like thousands and thousands of dollars all at once. Even if the restocking seems small to like the regular consumer, it's like absurdly expensive for out of pocket money. Um, so that's kind of why I plug my stuff as much as I do, because I do like being able to restock things because people don't like waiting, but I can't get them in the quantities that I would like to because I'm too small of a business still. So we're getting there, but, um, yeah, like supporting the business, shopping small, super important. We ship out of Canada. All of the prices on the website are in Canadian unless you change them to us. So you save on our prices because the Canadian dollar is about 20 to 30% lower. Anyways, highly recommend checking that out that you can check out the saddle pads and stuff on the Amore Equestrian website, A-M-O-R-E equestrian.ca under the milestone page. I have some hoodies that are available that are fun. I made Banksy into a, a meme that I think is pretty funny. And then yeah, saddle pads, bridles, and some new stuff coming out as well. So yeah, thank you for listening. And yeah, don't forget to check out my pages and yeah, support the podcast by sharing it with your friends if you so choose. And yeah, I'll keep trying to make these come out and talk about more stuff because I hope that like we can kind of start to get the ball rolling for more change just by getting people like curious, like getting curious enough to question shit is so important. Um, and it's okay to question stuff. Like we should be able to question, like even trainers that we like and work with a lot, you should be able to ask them to substantiate their claims and for more information. And they should not get defensive because they should be able to do that. And I think that that's important. Um, and if you can't do that with your trainer, that's something to consider too for the future. If that's something you want to continue learning from long-term, if you can't actually talk to them on a equal level. But yeah, anyways, thank you for listening, everyone, and have a good, beautiful day. And I'm sorry about how many noises my computer has made during this because it's pissing me off. Anyways, um, yeah, have a great day and I'll see you next time I do a podcast, which is God knows when, honestly. Like, I don't have set dates. Sorry, guys, this is all up in the air. I wonder how frustrating that is. Um, couldn't tell you because it's frustrating for me to have to pick set days. So sorry, guys. Anyways, also, yeah, anyways, yeah. See you later, alligators, and um, we'll see you when I see you. Have a great day, and yeah, continue questioning stuff. Be curious. Learn more about horses. And remember, tradition doesn't mean something's always right. There's a lot of stuff people have done traditionally for years and years and years, and traditions that have now ended that were incredibly fucked up, and we need to question what we normalize for tradition because humans are not always right, and like historically, we're often very, very wrong. Um, so yeah, thanks, guys. Have a great day.